On today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about Tesla AI Day, robots, and how it all fits together. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? I'm doing well, Matt. Didn't have a chance to make a video about this, so looking forward to uh, a good chat. Yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. And we also are joined by one of our favorite guests, Alex. How you doing, Alex? <laughs> hey, I'm doing great. I did get to make a video about this, so I'm excited to talk about it some more. <laughs> and fun fact, Alex was actually the person in the robot suit at the event. So I'm glad you could find time in your busy schedule to, uh, to join us. <laughs> That's right. Elon begged me not to say that, but I'm letting everyone know. Yeah. So good. So the plan for the conversation today is we're kind of kind of structured around the order of things in AI Day. So we'll kind of t- start off by talking about Tesla Vision, going into Tesla labeling, and then going to Dojo, and then out the, end out the conversation about talking about the robots, which I'm sure everybody is going to be very interested in talking about. But to kind of kick things off, um, I'm curious, uh, Alex, what was your take on the Tesla Vision um, discussion? Yeah, I, they really blew it away. I'm really surprised at some of the levels of detail they went into and some of the specifics, to be honest. So, you know, being able to look at information from multiple cars and start mapping out the world like by location was really interesting to me. And specifically, for example, how each card retains memory, not just in terms of time, like, oh, I have to remember something that happened 30 seconds ago but also something that happened 30 meters ago, right? I just passed a road sign that's giving me information about my surroundings, and I need to remember that till I'm very far away from that road sign. That was an interesting concept, and there's all sorts of great information they presented on object detection and collision avoidance that I'm sure we'll dive into, but I was very, very impressed. Yeah, for me, the thing that impressed me the most was the, the object permanence that the system has. So when something's out of sight, it's like a little kid, you know, like playing peekaboo. It actually remembers that that thing is there. It's Mm -hmm. incredible. Like the demonstration of that intersection where you saw the pedestrians and cars going in front of them and you could still see the pedestrians. So the car never lost sight that there are people back there. It's just going to make the system safer in, in general situations like this. So once you understood that, I think from this vision presentation, it seemed clear as to how this is going to work over the next, I don't know, six to 12 months as Tesla starts to roll this out more broadly. What about you, uh, Ricky? First, I I think it was a really nice touch that they touched on the challenges because we've we've been waiting for this and, you know, people have kind of made, you know, joke that Elon said this would be ready a couple of years ago and we're still here talking about it. But this is a really challenging problem. And what I love is they, they got into some of the challenges that they've solved and how they're getting much better data. Like, so for example, one of the things that they do now is they label and they they monitor video feeds instead of a single frame. To your point, Matt, about permanence, right? So before, they get a, a snapshot, look at it and say, okay, here's here's one clip. The problem with doing it that way is you're going to hit limits of understanding motion. You can't really detect and predict where something is going and and understand like the trajectory of, of things, even that are skewed by the camera. Uh, the second thing I thought was, and this I think is the key to this is, they talk about how they're converting their cameras into a vector space. So if you think about the world, most of us are familiar with like the Cartesian coordinate system, which is X and Y. You, you talk about, okay, here's the X axis, here's the Y, and as you move around, your, 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 you know, your Y increases or decreases, and you understand the, the world that way. But there are other coordinate systems. Like imagine if I gave you an angle and a distance, and then I could track anywhere you were based on an angle and a distance. There's that's another system we could we could use. So what they're doing with their cameras is they have all these cameras that have a little bit of overlap. 
they're able to take all of that information and to say, look, on this one camera, the higher you go up, clearly you're further and further away. And it's actually not linear. Like the further you go up, you're far further into the, into the, into the horizon, into the distance. So rather than looking at individual static images from a camera and trying to make understanding and predictions, what they do is they take what they see, like they label like here's a car, and they go project that into the world space. So the world space would be like looking at it from a bird's eye view overhead. So camera one and two see the world a little bit differently. And even like it gets complicated when you think about the skew angles. The cameras that are looking off at skew angles have even more complicated geometries they have to map. But the good news is once you figure out that mapping from camera space to world space, it's pretty static. It doesn't change. So it's not an overly complicated problem. But once you get that, you get really cool information. For example, permanence, right? You, you don't have to, if two cameras are looking at something, if you guys notice right now the flickering, when you're stopped at a stop sign, cars are flickering and stuff. That's part of the issue is in the camera space, that would be more prevalent. So as you move into more of a world space, that gets better. I love to see the progress that they've made there. That was the one thing I think that stood out for me in that regard. So you combine some of these things together and you get to see how they're, they're getting way better results with what they have and they're running into less problems. Yeah, that, that vector space demo, it reminded me a lot of uh, Waymo. Like I've ridden in the Waymo cars and I'm sure we've all seen the, the videos of what it looks like with the LiDAR mapping that creates this kind of like dot matrix of like the 3D space that the car is in. When they were showing what the this new vector space looks like, it reminded me of that with the level of detail that just the cameras were able to perceive for depth and where things are. And it blew my mind. It's like, okay, for people that say, oh, Waymo is way in the lead. And then you see this demo. It's like, that looks just like <laughs> Waymo's demo using LiDAR. And this is not using LiDAR. It's only cameras. It's really impressive with what they're doing. It's like it's it's clear that they're they've the perception is has been wrong about what Tesla is doing, and this demo really kind of cleared that up. Yeah, the with Waymo and lidar, that's what they're doing. Is they're it's easier to understand with Waymo because their their projection they get for free, and yeah. it's they're using the system I mentioned, which is angle times length, and they're able to like map out a whole world automatically. But what Tesla is doing with just cameras is this is why they say they don't need LiDAR or radar is they could get the equivalent without it, which is just, just freaking cool. You were going to say, Alex? Oh, yeah. So the I think there's two. So first of all, I was one of the no radar naysayers, right? I was under the impression that, okay, maybe you can solve this during daytime. Maybe you can serve this in good conditions, but you wouldn't be able to solve this for uh, really tough weather conditions, right? Snow, rain, sleet, fog, right, is a clear example of something that trips up your human eye. So it also trips up a camera, you would think, right? And one of the things that I really appreciated is they showed, hey, our performance in snow was actually really bad. So what did we do? We asked the fleet for all of the data where snow was falling off the back of a truck and including the camera. And we retrained with that in mind. And now look, we've solved the problem in all of these conditions where we used to think or definitely Alex used to think only radar could solve that. So they're using their massive data advantage to, you know, train out the need for these other sensors, radar and LIDAR. And then the other thing they showed in relation to that was the vision only simulator, right? Since they no longer need to uh, get radar data, they no longer need to simulate radar data. So they can use a video game engine and just simulate what something would look like and train a camera on simulated data because they don't know what the backscatter is going to be for radar, but that doesn't matter. They don't use radars anymore. So I think between those two tasks of 
getting uh, new information from the fleet and being able to simulate any conditions they can't get from the fleet in vision only are incredibly important to that story. I actually think that's a great transition into the labeling section of the Tesla AI day, which is, you know, literally labeling, this is a street cone, this is a stop sign, that's a pedestrian. Before, it's like their demonstration of where they started, where it was just throw more human bodies at it, of having humans just going in there and labeling every single thing, to transitioning to having systems that kind of sped that up to now where they have an basically AI auto labeling system that is basically doing most of the labeling and then humans just have to come in and kind of clean things up here and there. Uh, what's, what's your take on that, Alex? Yeah. So I think, you know, going back to Ricky's point of doing all this in a vector space, one thing that's really important is, hey, I can label that cone in the vector space. And now any camera that ever saw that cone, that's going to show up as an image of a cone uh, to that camera. Right. And then extending that even further, if I can train the AI to recognize that this thing is a cone in vector space, now no matter what cone I present it, it's going to say, oh, that's a cone, that's a cone, that's a cone. And then that's good because that's being labeled in this shared vector space. Every camera goes back and says, oh, what I saw back there was a cone because this cone in vector space is this cone in my shot, you know, at this timestamp in this camera. Right. So being able to auto label in one spot, this special shared vector space and have that label propagate back to every uh, instance of that object being shown to a given camera is huge, too. So it's auto labeling, but it's also auto labeling in a shared space. I think that's unbelievably cool. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ricky? Yeah, you, you combine some of these things together. It really helps the overall picture that you, the car is able to generate. I think the greatest visual representation of this is in the betas now you see the like you, the overhead view of the car you see 20 30 cars around you like in front of you behind you to the side of you and you can kind of pinch and move around i've seen on like tesla rogers videos for example it's really fascinating uh, what they're able to do now you combine that with what i mean what's kind of come next which is auto labeling and being able to feed it so much data that they already have tesla's probably greatest advantage with self-driving is the amount of data that they have from real-world test drivers who, who have uploaded this content um, kind of in the background. But currently, like you guys have mentioned, manual people who are labeling things will always hit bottlenecks. You can't scale that up very quickly, especially as more, more Teslas are out on the road. So what comes next is going to be with Dojo and kind of some of the automated things, which I think we could probably get into now. Matt? The Dojo thing, like I kept thinking of... I hate to always compare Tesla to Apple, but I keep thinking of Apple designing their M1 chips and kind of doing that full stack totally integration. Agree. And it was like, this is Tesla coming out and doing the same thing, saying full stack integration. We can design a chip to solve the exact problems we need. And because we're tailoring it to what we need, they can make it just bonkers, like what it was capable of doing. And I love that they were talking about how it was the um, throughput, the data rate, like that they were talking about that was their key focus. And by solving that problem, they have almost an infinitely scalable supercomputer, which is just my mind was melting during that section of the presentation of this is nuts because like the how powerful this is today, not even upgrading the hardware, just adding more and more and more computers. Suddenly it's it just keeps scaling because they solve that bottleneck issue communications between the chips. So it can act as one giant supercomputer or they can basically create virtualized machines and that to me opened up possibilities of like, they could go down the path of AWS, like Amazon. It's like they could start leasing out computing time and they create a spin up a virtual machine for 
a company doing science experiments, spin up a machine for, you know, whatever. It's like, this is going to open up a whole new revenue stream for them once they get the supercomputer up and running and figuring out how much overhead they can start selling off. What, what, what's your take on this? Yeah, so Matt, I was thinking about your video you made, I think last week, about the distributed computing and, and now the, taking the heat that would be wasted and Tesla wants to make HVAC systems. Imagine if in the future they were able to make kind of distributed clusters like this yeah. that they could ping and, and, and put to work whenever they need to and the waste heat would actually be heating your house. Right? I mean, the connections and the synergies kind of are, are mind boggling. But yeah, the Apple comparison is probably a apt one. Elon mentioned near the end of the presentation that, you know, a, a specific customized tailored chip will always outperform the general one, which like the Intel series of, you know, x86 uh, architectures have always been plagued with just being super general. They have to support Windows 2000 and everything in between. So they, they're, they're a far more generalized solution, whereas like Apple's M1, there's no compatibility to almost anything, just the latest Mac OS and beyond. So whenever you have a more specialized chip, you'll have far better performance. And that's exactly what this is. There were some really cool things they talked about in the interest of being able to be very scalable. The the heat input is uh, like the, the power is pr provided on one side of the chip and the heat dissipation is on the other, which allows you to really easily manage things like thermals and stuff. There are some challenges that I don't know that they fully um, solved. So one of the problems with having distributed systems or, or, or large numbers of chips like this is synchronization and, and sharing memory and all these sorts of tasks. And there were some really great questions in the audience. They had the right people in that audience, for sure. And I think the, one of the, the people mentioned that they're working on it. They're sure they're going to figure it out. But yeah, what they're doing is groundbreaking. And this is a car company, <laughs> might I remind you. Like, right? That's what people call Tesla. But I think this should really put a nail in that coffin. They're doing some really groundbreaking stuff and it's going to show off in a couple of years when they have up and running you're not seeing ford do this <laughs> no that's right yeah <laughs> so alex what was your take on it yeah you know i think you were spot on when you said it was going to be a competitor to aws at least in the you know machine learning and machine training respect and i think that's true i think tesla is going to be a huge driver in the cost decline associated with training new ais to do applications like real world navigation and you know, um, autonomous navigation and so on, I think that's gonna end up being one of their major revenue streams. Just like when Amazon first debuted AWS, it was a little crazy that a book company was doing this, but that's because you were looking at them or the market was looking at them through the wrong lens, right? And I think what you're pointing out is um, Tesla is fundamentally an artificial intelligence company and their application right now is autonomous ride hailing or autonomous taxis or whatever. And having this back-end infrastructure, this dojo, being able to train the fleet is another manifestation of them being an AI company, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's this technology isn't just limited to using it for cars. It's like AI and machine learning is playing a role in auto bidder for managing their battery, you know, charging and when they sell off extra energy. It's applying to full self-driving and it could be applied to any number of things. So Tesla is very quickly kind of evolving beyond the box that a lot of us put them in, which is really interesting. And I think that'd be a good transition <laughs> to talk about the robotic announcement of the goofy dancing robot that came out and the presentation of... Hey, man. 
Hey, hey, we're I'm, not to put down your dancing. Your good, dancing was fantastic, but Very it was good. yeah. It's I thought it was funny because it did set the tone of this is just a fun after show. One more thing that we're doing here. Uh, but I'm really curious before I get into my thoughts. I'm really curious to hear what you guys thought. Let's start with Alex. What was your take on the robotic announcement? Sure. I I was frankly pretty pretty surprised. I don't think I should have been given the amount of commentary leading up to AI Day that emphasized the possibility of a human-shaped robot. Um, I I think I was very surprised with how, the, for example, in the reception of the robot, a lot of people were like, this is the state of the art. And it's like, everyone forgot that Boston Dynamics existed. Everyone forgot that, you know, it's a human in a suit that wasn't actually me. Spoiler. Um, and I, so those are my big takeaways were, I do think that a human shaped robot is fundamentally a right way to go and saying, Hey, a lot of the world that's designed by humans is designed for humans. So this bipedal form factor, five fingers, one head, right. Makes a lot of sense. And I think that design choice really, really, I, I didn't really appreciate that until Elon said it, but do I think that the world can be boiled down to. Uh, everything in the physical world is a navigation problem, which is what Tesla is trying to solve, right? The fundamental prime directive of the car is to not crash. Is everything we do in the physical world really boiled down to don't crash into that? I'm not so sure that's true. And I think as a result, there's going to be a lot of things this robot can't do unless they start sort of from scratch and design a new business unit to say like, hey, picking up a tool isn't the same thing as not crashing, right? So I think they have a lot of ways to go where other companies are already doing that today. What about you, Ricky? You make a good point, which was that there are other companies in this space doing great work. Uh, Tesla has this kind of way of kind of sucking up all the air in the room. But yeah, Boston Dynamics is probably the best example of companies that have been doing this for a very long time. And, you know, like Twitter was was a buzz with people talking about how like, robotics is the future as if nobody had thought of robotics before tesla's <laughs> announcement which is just silly but uh the the, the dancing robot was was super silly i, I kind of i like that they had a little bit of fun with it um and clearly their their goal is look we're doing crazy cool stuff come work for us because we need you that was a theme throughout uh and they mentioned that the, so bringing this full circle and i want to i want to get your opinion matt the, the reason why we wanted to have this chat was not just to talk about the day. P- other people have done that, right? We wanted to boil this down in an interesting lens and talk about how does this factor into Tesla's mission statement, right? Te- it's not like we don't know what their mission statement is. They have a clear and wonderful mission statement, which is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. So how does this factor into that? And has Tesla kind of lost their way? Are, because there's opportunity cost. They're doing this. They're not doing something else. What do you think, Matt? Okay, so my take on this is a little nuanced. But uh, in general, I didn't have a problem with them announcing the robot. I don't think it is a distraction. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. This event was meant as a recruiting effort to pull in the top talent, top engineers, top people working in machine learning and AI. And the way you get the top talent into any company, especially like in Silicon Valley, where there's a lot of competition, is those kind of people like to solve really hard problems. And here's Tesla basically saying, we're almost, we've almost got full self-driving cracked. Why would you want to go to a company that's almost got it kind of cracked? Well, you give them a carrot of our next big thing we're going to be tackling is this insane thing called a robot that's going to be able to walk around the world and do things. That's going to get people coming in that would normally want to pass on Tesla. So it's, I understand why they were doing it. 
But we also put them in this box saying that their mission statement is the sustainable energy statement. Their original mission statement was to transition the world to sustainable transportation. And then in 2016, they changed transportation into energy because now they were doing a lot of solar, a lot of battery installations. So they evolved their, their statement to broaden it for what they were doing. And I think what we're seeing here is the seed of their, their mission statement is probably going to evolve again because this has nothing to do with sustainable energy, nothing. But it doesn't mean that they shouldn't do it. So my take on this is I see no problem with them doing this because they should be able to do this because they're hiring new people to come in and work on this. And the technologies they're working on can be applied to multiple facets of the company. They use things from SpaceX at Tesla. They use them things at Tesla and SpaceX. They're going to have a group working on this robot and there's going to be elements that they discover and systems they put in place that might apply back to full self-driving. So I don't see this as a distraction at all. The problem I had with the presentation was the word that kept coming up was glib. The entire section just came across very glib. And the reason I say that is when Elon, with like two sentences, kind of threw out, you know, like, oh, yeah, this is going to give people, humans, the option to not have to do hard labor in the future. They're going to have the choice to not do hard labor because robots will do it. I thought, no, the companies are going to make the choice of whether they want to hire humans to do the labor. And I thought it was really odd for the CEO of a company that has 70,000 plus employees, most of them working mundane jobs in a factory building cars, CEO coming out and saying, here's a robot we're going to build that's going to take all your jobs. And that's kind of what came across to me. There's a little bit of a tone deafness in that presentation, which is why glib kept coming up. It doesn't mean that I don't think they should be doing this because I think they should, but... I just did not like the way they presented it. And then his offhanded, this is why I think we need a universal basic income. And then he just like went on to the next thing. And it was like, well, you're, you're, you're hitting two major ethical, moral conversations that the society is going to have to have over the next 50 years as robotics start to take all of our jobs. And it was, I understand why he did it the way he did. It was a recruiting effort, but this was also to build buzz about the company and there's a whole bunch of us that are not going to be working machine learning and AI, and we see that's going to take my job. So I just thought it was a very kind of tone-deaf presentation. To me, that was more troublesome than the it's outside of their mission statement. I think that's a really great point. And then my question is, okay, there's a whole – the it's outside of their mission statement. Um, what do you think their new mission statement would be? Is it transitioning the world to sustain a sustainable economy, to sustainable production? Like, what? How do you combine their existing mission of sustainable energy, sustainable transport? What? Where is any of the overlap with the humanoid robot? That's a good you know? question. I don't know. I don't know what they would transition their mission statement to because this does feel like it's so removed. But at the same time, you could see as we're colonizing Mars having robots going and building the stuff for us on Mars to get it ready for us to go there. So you could see why robots might make sense on SpaceX, because you could cram a ton of robots <laughs> under the rocket and not have to worry about oxygen or feeding them on the trip to Mars. You just drop them there and they build everything for us and then we just show up and walk in. So it's like, I could see how they can use this in manufacturing for Tesla, for space exploration, for all this kind of stuff, but the ramifications that go out from there. I, I don't know how you change the mission, mission statement of Tesla to kind of loop this in, but to me, it made a logical, it felt like a logical step because of all the technologies they're currently building out. But I do agree with Alex. It's overly simplistic to say, hey, we're using this technology for full self-driving. That's all we need to do for robotics. It's like, that's, <laughs> it's way more complicated than that. It's not a navigation issue. There's so like, 
delicate picking up a pencil or something small and the robotics, like what Boston Dynamics is doing, is it's there's a lot of nuance to it. So I don't know how you pull that into the mission statement. Yeah. Um, what would their mission statement be? I, that's kind of what I struggle with. We talked about Apple, that the comparison's uh, kind of inevitable, but Apple are masters of saying no. They, they do almost nothing. They, they make like three products and like they, they do so little, but that's one of Steve Jobs' things is he's always said, you know, learn to say no or, or being able to say no to a lot of things and, and focusing on what's important is maybe even more important than just, you know, um, I feel like when I was a younger engineer, I would say yes a lot more than I do now because I kind of understand the opportunity cost of it. But that being said, I think the angle here to sustainability, and, and I think Dusty mentioned it in the chat. He, he talked about labor is energy in a way, right? If you have a factory and you're doing certain things, there's there's an energy cost, if you will. Maybe it's not exactly one-to-one, but there's a whole slew of things in our world that we don't do because it's not commercially viable. So what I mean by that would be um, like, for example, I met with Nouveau Mond. They're a graphite mine in Canada last week, and they have some really cool stuff. They'll be the first like North American source of graphite. Currently, all, most of our graphite comes from China. And uh, their founder was talking about the various parts of the, the, the impurities that they remove from the graphite for the battery stuff. And they, there's no real commercial way to make it worthwhile. And there's what I mean by that is, let's say, for example, there's molybdenum or vanadium, like really valuable materials, but the work required to extract that stuff is just too costly to have a, a person do it. There's just not enough of it, and the cost is too high. What if we had robots do new things, right? There might be a new slew of things that we currently just like discard or throw out. Like recycling is notoriously terrible. Like the, the great lie of the world is that we recycle stuff. We really don't because it's just not cost, it's cost prohibitive. So the sustainability angle for me, I think with the robots is what new enterprises, which were previously like draw a line, everything above the line is commercially viable. Everything below is not. So those things don't get done. We just flush them. We throw them out in the environment. We don't do anything with it. So how does a, 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 a slew of robots out there change that line? How much lower could we bring it? And how much more stuff could we actually do in the interest of a circular economy where we're more, you know, closed loop, we can recycle everything, you know, consume everything. There's some steps to that that are just too costly right now. And I think that is my answer to how it could tie into the uh, sustainability vision. But what about you, Alex? Like, how do you square that circle? How do you how do you <laughs> pull it uh, in? I I don't think I could do better than Ricky if I had to guess how Tesla would close that loop, right? Like Tesla talks a lot about remanufacturing and, you know, Redwood recycling, which uh, is a, you know, former Tesla CTO that started that company, right? Um, So there is a lot of talk at Tesla about remanufacturing specifically focused on precious metals, uh, the battery chemistries and getting everything, making the most out of the materials you have because there's going to be a shortage related to that. I, I struggle to understand how uh, Tesla wouldn't just spin out a whole new company for the robotics, just like SpaceX is a separate company, even though, you know, we know that on Mars, electric technology, electrified technology will probably be the way we do that. And solar and nuclear or some combination of the two will be our major energy sources there, for example. So I think the, the thing that I'm struggling to that I'm grappling with is why is this robot being developed at Tesla and not as a separate company that Tesla can benefit from? 
just like Redwood Recycling, just like a whole slew of other companies and technologies that would benefit from a humanoid robot, you know, changing the game in terms of labor and the economics around doing these important and hard problems, right? So you think Tesla should spin up Cyberdyne systems? Is that what you're <laughs> implying? Yeah, like why, why, why is it a Tesla bot and not a SpaceX bot? You know, right. Ricky made a great point. It's like this will be infinitely useful in space, right? Why is this not the SpaceX bot? Uh, just to take a quick, quick uh, thank you to John Jones who put a super chat in there. Uh, bet the bot could hit the like while watching the stream. Let's get to 100 likes. <laughs> Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. That's, I don't remember great. seeing John on before, but thank you, John. Appreciate you. Yeah, that that actually kind of does make sense to me. Part of part of uh, I think the FSD has been a cash cow for Tesla or a potential revenue stream in the future, which allows them to trade at a much higher multiple, which allows them to be able to issue more stock and kind of automatically raise more funds. And they've done that to great to great value and to great prosperity. So that is part of the answer to that. I think Alex is. It's very lucrative to have a autonomy division within Tesla in the interest of their share price. But I'm with you. I think that actually could make more sense. If My biggest issue with Tesla is I wish they could build more cars and more models and do it more quickly. And every time I hear them doing something new, I wonder, like, how much is Cybertruck going to be delayed? I know, uh, you know, like, how much? What about the Roadster? Matt, Matt Farrell is going to be driving two of them uh, different days of the week. So those are things that are, they're not getting done because of, of this. So maybe there's a, there's, a, there's a structuring that could better s- serve them. But I, I think the excitement around autonomy, and Tesla's cl- clearly already doing some of that with the self-driving, um, there is some synergy, but you're right. I think what will have to, have to happen is a really open source framework for like training. Imagine if like we start a company where we train a garbage collecting robot. He'll drive the truck and go jump out and grab trash bins and, and right. And we sell it to companies like, hey, here's our training, like, kind of like uh, the Matrix. Remember the you get plugged in and you learn Kung Fu in like five minutes kind of a thing. So we would have our own like dojo or maybe we license dojo and we give it this repetitive task and we build this model that we could then upload to your robot and you'd have kind of a thing, right? I mean, the, the opportunities or the possibilities are pretty endless. And that's really why Tesla has 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 this in-house. But yeah, that could be interesting. I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing a robotics, especially when it goes from software to hardware, the robotics being a, a separate division. Eric Kessler, Super Chat, thank you so much. Um, he said, well said, John Jones. I still haven't gotten past being blown away by the AI Day info. I especially love that the response of Lex Friedman from MIT and how he laughed and was blown away. Uh, it's, oh, oh my God, 1.1 exaflop. Exo, exaflops, yeah. Yep. What do you guys think about the, we'll have a prototype in one year. What, what, do, you, what do you, what do you, <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> do you want to go, Alex, and just talk about that for a second? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I think one of the things Elon has been really good about, I would say for the first half of this year is kind of, toning down a lot of those claims and like those really short timelines. So I was really surprised when he threw that out because he already had the right people in the room. And I think AI Day was incredible, right? Just like that super chat said, there were a lot of really, really great things that really got presented in the right way to the right people at AI Day. So that promise just didn't need to get made, right? Everyone was excited to work on, you know, the best supercomputer in the world, the most advanced autonomous navigation system in the world, the best computer chips that are making their way into cars in the world. And the idea of, 
you know, having that manifest in a humanoid form factor and not necessarily a car, right? For what it's worth, if you took the Tesla bot at face value, you'd get to work on one of the most advanced robotics programs in the world, right? So that why why make the promise? Why yeah. why is it coming out next year? It's like it should come out when it's ready. And it should be a great robot that really does what Ricky said, right? Like, hey, this thing can be trained using Dojo to do something like recognize a garbage can, pick it up, empty it, not steal it, right? Give it back. (laughs) And then another company can take that humanoid robot and make it turn screws. And now all of a sudden, it's like you have all these different business units being built up on this robotic humanoid platform. By the way, Tesla does the training, the software, and the hardware for that platform. You know, we didn't need a timeline to make that impressive. Ricky's idea is impressive by itself, right? Like, what, what do you think, Ricky, about the the timeline? <laughs> by the way, we had uh, so Eric Kessler had a good comment. He said, uh, "12 months to a prototype. Prototypes are easy. Rate production is hard." Elon said that again. He says that pretty much in every presentation, and I love that. I think that's what we all need to uh, embrace about these startups. Full rate production is is really tough. Also, we have a super chat from Joel Sapp. He says, remember, he has been working with Ben Hong from Caltech. I don't know the reference there. Do either of you know? Uh, Joel, if you could clarify. Yeah. I think he's talking about, I don't know, uh, some uh, connection with either Elon or Tesla and the robotics team. But I think the timeline was not really needed. At the same time, it doesn't really bother me too much. It might have been better to say, we need you guys to come help us build this robot. Without you, we can't do it. That is what I would have said. As opposed to, we'll have a prototype in one year. Sounds like we already have the team for it. We don't really need you kind of a thing. So I don't, that, that kind of flew counter to what I think the message was during the entire presentation. So for that reason, that was a little odd. But yeah, I, I think one of the things that they should probably start to do is be a little more realistic with timelines. And a, a one-year prototype is going to be pretty weak. It's not going to be very full-fledged. And he did say prototype, so that gives him a lot of outs and stuff. But there's going to be really cool progress here. They're probably getting a ton. Could you imagine being like the PR department or the HR, all the new floods of resumes that are coming in from this stuff? Like, yeah. You, like you said, really smart people want the challenge of the great problems of the world. And this is one of them. So um, I'm not too worried about the timelines. I don't know that they're really realistic. I don't think we'll have a great <laughs> robot in a year. It'll, there, there might be something. That, that timeline, it's just, this is when he said that, I was like, oh, here we go again with the Elon time. It's like, he's horrible at estimating stuff like this. And for me, it's like, I agree with you, Ricky. It was from a, a recruiting standpoint, it's kind of like, kind of weird. But at the same time, there's a public perception. Even though this was a recruiting event, the public's watching this. And the other aspect of this was to get buzz. I mean, to be honest, he was trying to get free press by doing this buzz and he got it. Like, we're all talking about it. The press was talking about it. But to say that one-year timeline, it's just like another one of those nails in the coffin of Elon doesn't know how to do time estimates because he gets ridiculed about that a lot in the press and in the public. And so why would you, why would you even, why would you even do it? It's like why even you don't even have to do that. You say we're building this crazy thing, that's amazing on its own. Leave it at that, and then you show yeah. it when it's ready. And to say one year, and I kept thinking, I literally like a couple of days before I had watched the video of the Boston Dynamics humanoid robots parkouring around a whole thing. And I'm like, there's no way on earth, whatever they come up with in a year is going to be able to do what Boston Dynamics did. So it's like, why would you put that one year timeline even out there? Because it's like, it's going to walk out on stage and probably pick a glass up and it's going to be very rudimentary. And it's like, and then you've got Boston Dynamics, like leaping over boxes and backflips and doing all this crazy stuff. 
I don't know why he would just, it just, it struck me so, so poorly why he did that. He, it's like he's shooting himself on the foot. He does that again and again for, for so estimates. I, I will, I will say in my, both in my like mechanical engineering and software engineering experiences, I've met two kinds of like really senior engineers. One of them says, yeah, we could do that. We could do that in no time. We'll do it, right? The people who have like, who are full of optimism and who believe they can freaking do it, right? Then there's the other type of person who says, are you kidding? We can't do that. No way. Not going to happen. We're not going to do it. So um, sadly, that per the second type of person usually gets promoted more because they're a little more yeah. pragmatic. But I will say the great crazy things in the world that get accomplished happen by the first person, the person who's crazy enough to believe that they could do it in a year. And wakes up every morning for 365 days believing it. If they fail, so what? They'll have gotten so much closer than anybody else. And that's why we love Elon, right? And that's why mm -hmm. Elon is special, is the man believes he could, it's that reality distortion field and his is in full effect. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm okay with that, I think, for the most part. Um, there was, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Elon. I mean, that's kind of how he, he's always operated. And uh, yeah, I think it's part of his MO. True, true. But like, it's like if he had just not said that, the event wouldn't have been any less impressive. True. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned the stuff about the UBI and how he kind of brushed over that. The good news is, I think it'll be years before this is a problem, but I think yes. this will be a problem. There's going to be a lot of jobs that we're not going to need. Um, I was on Warren Rudlick's show a couple uh, yesterday, and I kind of mentioned. You know, the jobs that will be the last to be automated will be like plumber. <laughs> Building a robot to do like plumbing and getting underneath stuff. And that'll be the last job, I think, that'll be automated. Nurses, right? I think doctors will be automated before nurses will, interestingly, my, my prediction. But yeah, it was just um, so funny how he just skimmed across a couple <laughs> of like really huge thorny topics. It was like, whoa. Skin deep, right. it's like, whoa, buddy. <laughs> it's like he could have avoided even saying that stuff and it would have been just fine. It's like uh, he opened a door and it was like a crack, and it was like, you know, a bunch of people are going to dive through that crack and start picking it apart. Yeah, and I think the real thing here is like, I think the Tesla bot could be a great project. And like you said, you know, it's, it's ultimately a recruiting day, and that's what people are there for is to think of the cool next thing if they solve autonomy soon. Um, I agree that there should be co competition to Boston Dynamics. And my guess is one of the ways Tesla even picked that program of like, why is it a humanoid robot is to go after the people who are looking at Tesla and maybe passing them up because they want a more physical manifestation of AI, right? The car is stuck on wheels, it's stuck on a road, a 2D environment, right? Here's this robot doing parkour. I want to solve this 3D challenge, this object recognition challenge, this pick up a part and manipulate it challenge, right? And now Tesla's saying, hey, wait a minute. If you come here, you can apply that knowledge and then we will make good use of your skill set, which is well past navigation and now into manipulation, right? I think all of that could have been done at this event without those three sentences, the UBI sentence, the timeline <laughs> sentence, and whatever the other implication about job, right? Like, so I think that's the, that's the specific nuance here, right? Is yes. not that Elon made a bad presentation, even about the robot, even with the dance. It's these surface level, you know, three lines that just changed the whole trajectory of that part of the presentation away from, hey, look at this kick-ass project to, hey, you know, we know we're unemploying millions of people by making this, but if we weren't gonna, somebody else was, right? Like, 
So at least this one's not intimidating, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like a musician playing and hitting a wrong note. It was like this great song. You're like, wow, this is great. And then just this off key. It's like, oh, oh, dude, yeah. what, what are you doing? It was like, for me, yeah. that's what it was. It was just a couple of wrong notes that he hit in that presentation. That's right. But the, so, but the I was going to say, but the research that they're doing, it's like, for me, it's like, I can totally see how, like, even though it's not a navigational problem for robotics, and there's a whole arm of robotics that goes way beyond navigation, it's like, you can see how it's like, creating a system almost like dojo whereas this huge massive supercomputer you can do virtualized setups any way you want the the navigation scheme is going to be the same thing it's like it's going to be able to recognize glasses on a table and you know little objects and it's like so c- c- structuring this any way you want like big objects for navigating in a car smaller objects for robots moving around a house and you can see how like if they have the top talent working on the robot or full self driving it's all kind of like one big pool of machine learning that can benefit the whole system. So it's like, I totally understood why they did this, but it was just, like I said before, those wrong notes that he hit on the keyboard as he was talking about it. So I'll bring this back to kind of the theme here. Uh, There's a really great comment from Stefan who says, skip that robot and do wireless charging first. So this gets to, I think, my issue with this is, I think far more important than robotics or self-driving cars we could all function without a self-driving car. Get in your car and drive yourself, life will go on. But what we need to do is stop burning fossil fuels. We need to take a more active approach in being a more sustainable society. That cannot wait, right? FSD and all that stuff to me is not, I don't even think about FSD. I don't care about FSD to be honest with you. What I worry about is how do we, how do we generate electricity from the sun and the wind and water and then how do we store it? And how do we get off of all this stuff and stop burning things and, and, and return the earth to a better state, right? They have not figured all that out yet. They're a small, they don't even make, they make a million cars a year. We need to make a hundred million cars a year. We have to, there's a lot we need to do, right? This is the opportunity cost problem. So this does, for me, get to the heart of have they lost their way? They have a huge goal and their goal was great and we got behind it. I did anyway accelerate the world's transition. They've been doing it, but it's not mission accomplished yet. You know, it's not that George Bush on the carrier scene yet. They have work to do. They need to build more cars, more capacity. And I'm not saying they're not doing it, but any opportunity cost that you're you're spending elsewhere is not money you're spending on another plant somewhere, right? Is if you took their entire AI operation, how much does that cost? And you transferred that into building more electric stuff and solar panels and batteries would the world be better off? That is the question I think that we should be talking about. And I mentioned if we use robots for better purposes, like more recycling or stuff, fine. But the job isn't complete yet, right? We have more to do. But that, that's precisely why I don't see it as a huge distraction because improving these robotics may actually help their manufacturing to be able to pump out more cars faster or to pump out more solar panels faster, pump out more batteries faster. So you can totally see how robotics could play a role into their manufacturing efforts to increase that sustainability of energy, the, the transition. So, and then on top of what I said before about the software, the machine learning, it's like it's not like it's being done in a box that could never be applied back towards the cars. It absolutely can. So I don't see it as a complete distraction. It's adjacent, but there is definitely on the Venn diagram, there's definitely an overlap between the two. So if it was like they came out and announced that they were going to do, I don't know, pick a random product. They're going to start making computers, you know, to sell, like they're going to compete with Apple. It's like, what, we're making a phone. Here's a Tesla phone. Then I would be like, yeah, this is what are they doing? But because the robot is still kind of somewhat overlaps with what they're trying to do with their current 
processes, I can see how and why they would be doing what they're doing. Um, I don't think it's that far out there. Yeah, those are those are two very polarized takes, and I have the unfortunate uh, situation of being in the middle of both of them. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about Tesla is they're fully vertically integrated, right? So they probably did some cost assessment, assessment and said, hey, instead of buying robots from Boston Dynamics, just as an example, to solve our manufacturing constraints, we're going to build it ourselves, right? Um, but then I think where Ricky really has a strong point is, what is the cost of that? What is the cost of, you know, if these guys were working on AI specifically for cars or AI specifically for their manufacturing plants, right, the gigafactories, what would that look like if they weren't working on a generalized humanoid form robot, right? It's like if they're worried about the nuts and bolts of a specific, you know, wheel bed or a specific part that can get put on way faster if a human didn't have to do it the natural conclusion for that problem might not be a humanoid shaped generalized artificial intelligence right so you're making the the solve to the problem much harder than it needed to be in order to have this new product and so i i think i agree more with ricky where it's like hey if they instead said how do we make the gigafactory more intelligent to pump out more cars and uh you know quick more quickly transition the world to sustainable energy through autonomous transportation and, you know, solar panels and wherever else they make there, I don't think they would have arrived at a humanoid shaped robot. Very fair point. But at the same time, I think my, my point, the, the reason I came to my conclusion is that that humanoid robot is not a year away. It's like, I do not buy that timeline at right. all. It's like, this yeah. is five, 10 years away before those things become a reality in any way, shape or form. Just even looking at what Boston Dynamics is doing today. Uh, so for me, it's like, it's not going to be a distraction because this is a long-term effort. This is going over years and years and years. So the, the closer benefits they're going to get are making their current robotics smarter in their factories, being able to do all that kind of stuff. And it's not going to necessarily be humanoid robots, but you can see how they might be able to apply it back to what they're doing today. Sure. And we have a super chat from Bill O'Barr that I absolutely love. Uh, Tesla and Boston Dynamics should combine efforts with Tesla providing 3D vision and AI training. And I love this because Boston Dynamics, all those parkour moves you see them doing, it's all pre-programmed. It's being controlled by a human being saying what the path is they have to do. And the, the only thing that the robot is doing is figuring out, do I have to put one foot in front of the other? How far do I have to jump? That's all it's figuring out. So it feels like Tesla has the how to navigate the world that you could combine with Boston Dynamics' ability to just have this robot that can traverse things on its own. And those two things would be like peanut butter and chocolate. Those could go so well together. And the fact that Boston Dynamics took decades to get where they are today and for Tesla to come out and say, yeah, we're going to do that in a year. It's like, that's kind of what my, <laughs> it's like, whoa, that timeline's way off. So if you combine those two, it's like really cool. Really good point. Um, there was a, a chat, by the way, we're, we're kind of bringing light to the argument. We're talking about different things. I don't think it means that like, I hate FSD and I don't want FSD to happen. Long Fam says, Ricky, the whole point of FSD is to reduce the energy consumption and materials wasted to make large amounts of cars. FSD can reduce five car production down to one. Um, so it, he has some really good points. And I think there's quite a bit of that. There's a lot of people who love FSD. I completely understand. Um, we're trying to have a debate. We're having, we're, we're bringing up some interesting points. Also, there was a super chat from Pura Vida who says maybe Elon recognizes people and governments don't understand Dojo and we need to build a robot to show how advanced self-driving is. This is a good point, right? This is like building a supercar electric car. You don't build the Prius, you build the Roadster. You get people excited about it. And Elon is a master of understanding that. So that's a, that's a really good point as well. Um, so 
this this idea of FSD being like the panacea for all of our woes, I think is also a little overstated because like, for example, we have Ubers today. We, my wife and I can never take because we have two kids and they don't have car seats in them, right? So if you have a family and you have kids, what are you going to do? Also, I think one thing that will be a more permanent change from the pandemic we've been through is we're going to see people. I think there's going to be a little bit of a reversal from centralizing ourselves into cities where rent is crazy high. We can now stretch out, have a little more space, not be on top of each other. There's going to be long term effects. Right. So I think FSD is not going to be this magical thing that will solve all of our problems. I think there will still be a huge quantity of cars that are needed to be produced for people who would just prefer to have their own car as opposed to like share everything. Like for me, I, even if even if travel was as cheap free, I'd still have my own car because I like the idea of having the diaper bags and the stuff in the trunk and to be able to go where I need to go and come back and have my own have my own thing. And there are quite a few chats I've seen of people who feel similarly they don't mind driving their own car. Um, it's complicated. Where should we have this investment? Long term, it could be better. By the way, Elon did mention that he, he doesn't really like the idea of like, you know, fully aware robots that can kind of replace us. So he mentioned that, admittedly, that the robot that he's building or FSD is very focused, meaning it can't just do anything. It could do things in one specific realm. So um, it's limited. Like it's, it's not like the FSD tech is going to magically make their factories better. Like to Matt's point, I think that is a good argument that any sort of autonomy and robotics will help kind of the full circular manufacturing process but maybe not directly and maybe not it's not as plug and play as we we might think yeah dusty green has a great comment of if tesla 100 so-called focused on one product or a uh, thing like solar then they would lose out on engineers that are interested in different things in the economics and vertical integration possibility so it's it kind of comes back to what elon had said before this event he kept saying this is a recruiting event this is a recruiting event he said that numerous times so it's like we always have to remember to look at this event through that lens that he was trying to get the top talent to come join Tesla, which is in short supply. It's like the, the people that he's going after, there's handfuls of them that are really at the cream of the crop, and he wants to get the best people working at Tesla. So it's that's a very that's, good point. That's the main reason that they were talking about the robot. I talked about Tesla Raj a little while ago. He's in the house. Hey, hey Raj, how's it going? He says, for local roads, I'd rather drive myself. Self-driving on the freeway is the big win, and Tesla does it amazingly well. I could not agree more. I would never buy a car again that doesn't have Tesla's level of self-driving. I drive hundreds of miles to visit my mom and dad. It is incredible. Uh, I agree completely. We have another super chat from Gary Itano. Uh, Re-robots, solar tile installers wearing motion capture suits should be used to create bare-bones prototype pathfinders. Then lunar landing pads. <laughs> it's funny, right? Yeah, and how... Yeah, how we how we go from doing things manually to having robots do it and the, the path forward. And I, I think they're like a really good point. We're all sort of saying in different ways is one day somebody is going to make this and one day robots will be the way we do things. And, you know, whether it's Tesla or not, I agree that either Elon or somebody like Elon will be the person to make that happen. Right. You know, so the, there are nuances like we've been talking about this whole time. Should it be Tesla? Is it a SpaceX thing? Is it navigation? Is it something else? I, I think the one thing we all agree on, agree on is it's no surprise that Elon Musk wants to come out with a humanoid robot that can solve incredibly hard energy specific problems like work, right? Like it's that's not a surprise. So I, I agree with all the nuance. But yeah, for sure. The big takeaway, big picture is definitely Elon Musk 
already makes robots. Now they're just in humanoid factor, or the humanoid form factor. And I'm definitely pro Elon Musk making that robot. <laughs> yeah, these these are inevitable at some point. Whether it will be in my lifetime or not, I have no guess. But our robotic AI future is it's happening. It's yeah. somebody's going to do it, whether it's Tesla or not Tesla. It's happening, which also means all of our jobs are going to be superfluous at some point because a robot can do it better than we can. Yeah, the, the day when a robot could make better YouTube videos than the three of us, we're toast, gentlemen. That, that Impossible. Is, that's right. Impossible. Well, there'll be some kind of deep fake of me doing videos. Like the AI will just make videos. People still think it's me, but it's actually not me anymore. That's going to end up being that. That's yeah, there's, there's a whole slew of considerations that we haven't thought about. There's a lot of conversation in the chat about like, when people think the first robot will actually go on sale and how much it will cost. Uh, like, how is SpaceX going to pay Tesla per robot? Do you guys have any thoughts as to, like, like I said, I'm, I hazard to make a guess, but, like, do you guys want to make a guess as to when you think something like this might actually be a viable thing, whether it's a person buying it or a company buying it? When do you think something like this might actually be available? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start by throwing my random dart at the dartboard. Um, I bet that a, you know, mega rich person will get the first truly robotic butler by the end of the 2020s, right? 2029, first robotic butler, $400,000, but no kidding. This butler will do all sorts of like cleaning, cooking, and regular around the house tasks. It'll recognize basic objects, basic commands, be able to interpret speech, things like that. And, you know, like basically be a Roomba 9.0, but um, $400,000, 2029. Standing over you, watching you sleep. It won't be creepy That's at all. Ma making sure that you're sleeping very well every single night. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ricky? <laughs> um, I'll pass on the sleep monitoring robot. <laughs> but... <laughs> For my for my estimate, I'm gonna say sixty nine thousand four hundred and twenty dollars in twenty twenty seven will get you a pretty good robot. Because again, the the it's not a compared to a car. There's just a lot less to make, and it'll be very like scalable, scalable, modular. Left arm, right arm will be the same, and they'll find the ways to do it on the cheap. So I don't think it'll be a really a cost prohibitive thing, especially early on. It'll have to be affordable somewhat to for people to get their hands with it. But I think there might be like beta models out there even even before that. But it'll come down to being it like, for example, Windows. Uh, I know I always give Alex a hard time about being a Windows user, but Windows runs everything. <laughs> you, you build this platform upon which you can build SolidWorks and everything under the sun. The robot has to be kind of the same thing. We have to have some sort of this base training model where I can go buy Matt Farrell's design training and give it to the robot to be able to do things or, you know, various different kind of tasks. That'll be the harder part because otherwise what you'll have is like this very ro a robot that could do like two things. And that's not that interesting. It was like the iPhone before iOS two and the app store, like as cool as that phone was, it had YouTube maps and a web browser. That was it. It wasn't until like apps came along that the iPhone became what it is today. So in the same way, the robot has to be like infinitely extensible. And when that happens, that's really the the flood wave, I think. But 2027, I think that's kind of my my time frame. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the camp with Alex. I think it's probably this decade at some point. It's going to be crazy expensive. It's going to be like only bought by billionaires or a company to do a specific task. But it's going to be very small, like numbers that are sold. It's going to be like the beginning of that 
you know, adoption curve, the very beginning of that adoption curve, it's going to be, yeah. a, it's going to be decades away <laughs> before you're going to be able to go get your robot butler for an affordable price for your home. It's going to be, that's, that's decades away, but yeah, it's, think, the, it's the roadster, right? It's not yeah. like, you know, I, I definitely believe there will be a model S robot some point, right? 2030s, whatever. But the mm -hmm. initial roadster was like limited run, you know, like celebrities bought it, right? It was like, you know, a very superfluous purchase, but man, did that pave the road for everything else? And then I definitely agree with Ricky, you know, it needs to be a platform, not a product. You know, people are building apps for their robot in the future. I definitely agree with that. I just, you know, that's probably the 2050s, right? Like there's a, there's a comment from 47 solar that I like, and so does Tesla Raj. Robot hardware cost at retail in five to 10 years will be low, 10 to $20,000 and various skill packs like home, yard, et cetera, will be made available via a monthly subscription for recurring revenue for Tesla. I could totally see something like that. Totally. Like I'm, yep. I'm buying a robot for my yard care and I pay a monthly, you know, hundred bucks a month and it just mows my lawn, trims my bushes and does the gardening. And that's all it can do. If you want to, if you want to extend that to a different skill set, you have to pay more money for a subscription to unlock more skills. I could totally see that. I like that idea, but I still think it'll be third party people who, who are doing it. Like Apple doesn't, Apple isn't the main driving force for all the apps on the app store. It's everybody else. It'll be the same thing. There's no way Tesla is going to train the perfect gardening robot, the perfect waiter robot and butler robot. It'll be third party. So it'll be like a, you have robot the platform, app store. <laughs> the robot app store. Yeah. Uh, you'd, you'd hop in and go, yeah. look, I really need I got bougainvilleas in the backyard. I got to trim those suckers every week. I want to buy that pack. And maybe it'll be a subscription. That way you get updates as the robot improves. It will be, in fact, I think. Pretty much everything going forward in software will be a subscription. Um, I want the dancing up, robot. Updates and dancing. I want the dancing. That'll be, when I come home, I'm I want right a robot here. to dance and greet me when I come home every day. Yeah. That's that's what I want. Here, here's a question. that The robot that they faked on stage that was doing that dance, what year will a robot be capable of that level of you know, whatever. Already coordination today. To today. Do that. today. Today. Boston, today. Dynamics, Boston Dynamics does that today. Yeah. Yeah. They have videos of their robots dancing. Yeah. Today. To amazing songs. You got to go to their YouTube channel. If you haven't seen it, they have amazing like music videos of these robots dancing and they're, they're synchronized. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. So the, it's not a hardware problem. We have the actuators and all Correct. the circuits and every, the servos and all the stuff we need. It's really the software. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think if you're asking when will a robot be able to express itself autonomously through dance 15, 20 years from now, but like, yeah, it, that's, that's the AR part of the problem, right? Like just to add a little nuance back to the silly conversation, the hardware is there for sure. It's this idea of when you dance, what are you actually doing? It's like, you're taking this internal thought, feeling, whatever you have as a human and externalizing it. What does that look like for a robot? And how, when, if will it ever be able to do that, right? Like impulsively make its body move a certain way for no programmatic reason. You know, that's basically what dancing is, at least the way I dance. Um, so uh, that's, I think, pretty far out, right? That's getting close to like consciousness, right? Like, which is, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's true. So Tesla Raj says, how is Tesla going to compete with Boston Dynamics who has this on lock? That's my question. Yeah. So I, I think they're in different spheres. I think Boston Dynamics really has the hardware part figured out. They're masters of, I mean, imagine you have to run electrical wires through every joint and hinge and rotational. All that stuff is complicated. So they, I think they've got a lot of hardware advantages, which maybe Tesla licenses or 
does some something else. But then there's a software part, which is completely different. And I don't think Boston Dynamics has a huge advantage there at all. So Correct. I don't think they have that unlock. I think they have the hardware. And if you watch those videos, the thing I find hysterical is like, here's these humanoid robots doing all these crazy things. And listening to the audio, you can hear the computer fans in those things whirring up to like, it sounds like they're about to take off like a jet engine. So it's like, you got to imagine the heat coming off of those robots just to do these moves is probably astonishingly hot. And then it's like, how long does the battery last? It's like, these things are probably like running for half an hour then have to be juiced up because it's like this burn through the batteries, which just goes back to my, there's no way this, there's going to be an actual crazy cool prototype in a year. It's like we're years away from having quiet, cool to the touch <laughs> robots versus these like high fan noise, really like low energy usage robots from happening. Yeah, long long fam says Boston Dynamics is not AI. That's Tesla's advantage. I think yep. that's that's probably true. Bingo. Yeah, and There's... people keep pointing. People keep pointing out that Boston Dynamics was bought by Hyundai. That's something right. else that Good a lot of people don't know. There's another theme in the in the comment section which I don't think we should touch on, but <laughs> people are asking about one of the very first applications of of this is. You guys can use your imaginations. Robots, Robots after dark. After dark. Um, the same <laughs> for all web traffic. That's actually my next YouTube channel. You can go find me at youtube.com slash robots after dark. Robots after dark. There you, there you have That's it. That's right. And also, I think building robots would be easier because currently Tesla's biggest problem is just battery supply chain and battery supply. With a robot, I don't know how big a pack it would have or how much range, if you will, how much runtime, but they'd be much less constrained so that's why i don't think the prices are going to be exorbitant i think it would be pretty reasonable because they'll be able to make them at like a large um <laughs> tesla raj says only fans yeah um <laughs> yeah but like literal fans like the cooling fans <laughs> yeah. you know? it's only fans i like that it's only fans only fans yeah I, I will say i think things were pretty clean for about 45 minutes I, I, i'm impressed um yeah. it's hard to talk about robots with uh <laughs> so uh any parting thoughts you guys want to share on the tesla AI day before we kind of call it uh yeah i think it i think it was super impressive i think all kidding aside tesla has proven that it's an ai and vision company right they're incredible at this task of like training a computer to understand the world around it enough to navigate through it using cameras only which is as Lex Friedman pointed out, as we've all pointed out, as people will continue pointing out, an unbelievably hard technical challenge that requires hardware, software, artificial, like all these things to come together. And Tesla really is bringing them all together. So obviously, robot jokes aside, really impressed with AI Day, really impressed with the progress they're making towards this challenging economic problem. And yeah, I'm super pumped to be a Tesla shareholder and a fan of their products. What about you, Ricky? Any thoughts on it i think we we love tesla we see them as kind of this incredible space of innovation and really we i wish there were 10 teslas out there right that's probably the the thing i wish for more, more than anything else but i always think of it as the sustainability part i think is critical right now that can't wait so i'm hoping that they bring it all to that and i hope that they can continue to do all the really cool stuff that everyone loves and for, for good reason while maintaining that vision of accelerating our world to a more sustainable uh, future, which I think is critical at this juncture. So that's always the goal and the hope. Yeah, well said. I agree with that. And so thanks for everybody for watching. It's been a great conversation, a lot of fun. Thanks, Alex, for joining us. Be sure to go to his YouTube channel. It's, It's so, so good. 
Uh, why don't you tell us how to get, to get to you? Sure, yeah. I run a YouTube channel called Ticker Symbol U, uh, spelled Y-O-U, and it's all about advanced technology and finding an investment thesis in some of the coolest companies out there right now, certainly including Tesla. Check it out. If you like the cool stuff Matt and I talk about and you want to think about it from the, inve- the investor perspective, definitely check out Alex. There's a lot of overlap, really cool stuff. And uh, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and hit the notification bell so you don't miss an episode. We're live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can also listen to the podcast version uh, pretty much anywhere you can find it. It's on viceversa.show as well. As always, thanks so much for watching. We'll see you in the next one.